It's Wednesday, April 14th. You're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you delicious tech news headlines and all the hot takes you can handle with Tyler Gates, Russ Cantwell, and Aaron Bewley. Russ isn't with us right now, but I do have Tyler Gates back on the call with us. We missed him last Friday and Monday. How's it going, Tyler? Yeah, I'm missing you guys too. Yeah. No fun missing TBP. Yeah, man. It's been a week. What you been up to? You like went to another state or something. I did. First time in a long time that we got away from Dodge. Um, Yeah, we went to go see my in-laws and it was wonderful. It's really good to see them. It's been too long. Always, always a pleasure to get out there. And uh, we we did some swimming, uh, which was pretty chill. The people were there is where'd you go? There is Slidell, Louisiana. So the food is most excellent. Uh, the weather is not dramatically different than Texas, but it does tend to be a little hotter and a little more humid. Um, pretty, pretty run of the mill right now. And uh, usually they'll uh, heat their pool, but they had heater issues at probably the worst time ever because uh, I think Texas's event like drained the entire national supply of pool heaters. So there's a national <laughs> shortage of pool heating componentry which has also been a pain in another note, just because I'm trying to get some backyard work done and all the pool suppliers are like, nope, busy until 2028 with broken stuff. Well, that's interesting. So you're saying all the people's heaters broke going through that, just trying to keep their pools from freezing. Uh, Well, the, because the power was out in like the whole state, uh, they couldn't do what you, Oh yeah. They couldn't actually do it. Keep running the pumps. And usually that's sufficient, right? Yeah. Pools are, are lots of volume. They get, they don't usually get cold enough to freeze in Texas at all. Um, but if they do get cold enough to freeze in Texas, generally speaking, running your pumps is enough to keep the, you know, the circulation, just keep pulling in the warmer water, keep it moving. Yeah. But because the power died, pumps were off. And so pipes froze and burst in a lot of places and heaters, um, I guess, just the way they're built kind of makes sense. They're a heat exchanger, right? They, uh, they did not yeah. fare well. And we, uh, we were talking about this, I forget on, Twitter, I know people have brought it up, but I don't think a Texans know what winterizing a pool is. Um, no, I certainly doesn't exist, didn't. dude. Of course, I'm also new to <laughs> pool ownership, so particularly fun there. But the uh, in general, I don't I don't think the state is all well aware of uh, what one would do if no. that were a normal instance. We so there were tons we of like freezes. No, just doesn't happen. Yeah, this is big. I remember seeing that. And I was like, they send warnings for that. We even have that in the bot chain or whatever. <laughs> like what? <Yeah. laughs> well, and for um, those of y'all not familiar, um, we skipped right over this, but I just wanted to dig in. I had a few questions oddly about Slidell. So it's actually just right across <laughs> Lake Pontchartrain from new Orleans, right? It is. It is. So, but about do it, my, go ahead. Well, do they, sorry. The, the people in Slidell, do they not say they're from new Orleans? They say they're from Slidell. Oh, well, I don't know that many people from Slidell, so I can't answer that well, you question. You were just there. You're talking. I mean, or I don't know. I don't know if you know. No, I, I wasn't talking to very many people. That's, oh, that's, okay. I know. We canceled the pandemic in Texas, but it's not canceled everywhere. Um, <laughs> so, so it was lots you of family pubs, interactions and not a lot of other interactions. Um, no, I don't know. I, I, I would guess that they say New Orleans and then people ask where and they say Slidell. Slidell is definitely okay. a, a suburb. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if there's just like a, a lot of pride in Slidell and I we're not New Orleans or Slidell kind of a deal it's or it's a dangerous, dangerous thing to say. I, I don't know the answer to that question and I'm not going to venture a guess. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let's just say nobody's uh, well, nobody's a strong word. I don't think very many people are flying to Louisiana to go to Slidell. Okay. 
certainly not compared to New Orleans. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Population <laughs> roughly thirty thousand people. Okay, yeah, not let's big. get into let's get into some of this stuff here. Um, let's look at today in tech history. Got two things for you. Two things for you. Uh, April fourteenth, nineteen twelve. So this day, nineteen twelve, the RMS Titanic struck an iceberg. Okay. Is that bad? How's this, how's this tech related though? You you say? I hear you asking the question. <laughs> it's not a laughing matter, Tyler. Okay, a lot of people. Uh, it is now. Okay. It is not too soon. It, 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 it I, was... I stand by that one. All right. Four days into its maiden voyage. Gosh, what a fascinating story, by the way, because it is. there's all kinds of things where if they had just hit the iceberg direct, you you hear, you know, it, the ship yeah. wouldn't have sunk. But because they diverted and right. ripped a hole in the ballast and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, it's crazy. Over 1,500 passengers drown when the ship sinks early on in the next morning. The tech here is the Marconi wireless equipment on board. Used to oh. call for help, effectively saved 700 people. It was stated oh, that, cool. quote, yeah, those who have been saved have been saved through one man, Mr. Marconi, and his wonderful invention. That's cool. So I assume it just sent out like a static SOS and, and as wide of a spread as possible. Yeah. Assumption. yeah. I have no idea how Marconi's wireless technology worked at the time. Yeah. Yep. It was actually invented in the late 1800s. Um, wow. I'm not even going to try his first name. It's G-U-G-L-I-E-L-M-O. Okay, I did try it. Uh, Marconi. Yeah, maybe. I, yeah. I couldn't see it. I can't see it written, and I lost track of the letters you were reading, but it sounds uh, not so surprising Yeah, with Marconi that it was Italian. First practical radio transmitters. Giuliano, probably. Yeah, there you go. Um, used radio telegraphy, and uh, that's how they sent out their SOS signal. So Crazy. Cool. Anyway, there's that. Uh, also, There's lots of the, material science stuff in that too, as well, because they talked about okay. the particular alloy of the steel. I believe it was steel, but uh, it had like sulfur content was too high, which made it more brittle, especially in cold water. So, had it been uh, built properly, then it may not have ruptured. There, there was all kinds of stuff with the Titanic. Obviously, something that's been uh, well, well, I don't researched. I hope, but certainly yeah. uh, published on. I didn't know about that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing that a long time ago. I don't remember the details, but uh, obviously once we kind of found it with our deep sea diving equipment, um, they they were able to do some analysis. And I I thought I remember one of the things coming back and saying that I think specifically sulfur content in the steel was higher than it should have been uh, at the time for the alloys that they used, or maybe it was just that it was uh, an alloy that they could use, but had they used another one available at the time, there were, there were lots of things, I guess, that had to go wrong outside of just, oops, there's an iceberg. That's wild, especially for them to call it, you know, an unseekable ship. So, yeah. right. <laughs> right. And to get so many <laughs> things wrong. And I don't know, it's wild. Didn't have enough uh, life rafts and all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't no, they made, they cut a lot of corners. Yeah. I thought, I think that's true. And that was something somebody uh, hollered about probably at yeah. the time. Hey, this is bad. No, we're doing this anyways. Something like that. I don't and know. Wasn't there I'm, enough room on the door for Jack? Like just a lot of cool <laughs> decisions. Okay. I'm just kidding. That, that was always fun. I love that that comes up every so often in internet forums. Somebody gets angry. She could have saved him too. And then people debate it. Uh, the movie that is. <laughs> <laughs> they debate the movie. <laughs> they debate whether or not the dramatization, <laughs> not the real of, event. Yes, was uh, was sufficient. No, that's uh, it's good stuff. Gotta yeah. love the internet, right? Yep, 
one of the coolest things is watching these uh, massive ships, the completion of the build and then the way they launch them into the water. It's it's unbelievable. So violent. (laughs) Yes, very violent. Okay. Also, April 14th, back in 1981, the first test flight of the first operational space shuttle, the Columbia, ends successfully as the orbiter lands at Edwards Air Force Base in California. So very cool. Yeah, this is the uh, the Columbia. We talked about it actually, I guess, on Monday. But yeah, it's the it's the white um, one that basically looks like a plane with the black trim outline. And uh, yeah, cool, very cool. Happened today. Yay space. Yay space. Nineteen eighty one. Gosh. Yay wireless telegraphy. Okay, ah. what do we have in tech news? There was a lot Dude, of crazy. I don't even want to read today. it. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it all happened today, but I I just I am. For somebody who basically consumes tech news and then has a podcast about it, I am overrun with the number of headlines on a daily basis that are your data probably got leaked again. Or, <laughs> but there, it's like the numbers are just astronomical. Yeah. And then the next one's like, why all of the leaks to date are tiny compared to the one that's going to happen to tomorrow? And then tomorrow they make that true, but then reiterate that there's going to be a lot more of it and it's going to be worse. It's it's just it's insane. It it's never ending, right? Is it something of we can ever solve, or do people just not ah. care, or is there legislation that needs to happen, or I, probably like, how do we all of the above? You can yeah. legislate and try, and you're still going to fail. I don't know. This is like I mean, we talked about it before. I think the answer to a lot of these questions is lots of things have to change uh, for any future that doesn't just have constant data leaks. You know, whether that's more regulation or better governance or, or just fines, which I guess really boils down to regulation as well. But I, I don't, I find it hard to believe given the, like the customers that I deal with that they like, even assuming they don't care is just wildly inaccurate. They care. Mm-hmm. They just can't keep up. And financially they don't have to, which is a problem, right? Like if they can do best effort and that's good enough because when a hundred million people's logins, passwords, bank information, whatever gets leaked, they get, you know, what amounts to a slap on the wrist, which effectively is a cost of doing business. But would you really want to see every ma and pa have just extreme data compliance rules and costs no. associated with them? No. Well, it's, it's also, it's not feasible. Barrier to entry. Like, yeah, it, exactly. It cuts both so, ways big time. Yes, that's right. And uh, I would always be wary, you know, even if um, large corporations, you know, Apple's, Google's, even ISPs of the world started backing certain like security regulation, because if you see the giants backing stuff like that, they may see it as a competitive advantage, which is not always a consumer advantage. And so it's just not it's not simple. I think yeah. I think AIML ends up being an answer to a lot of this stuff, but I also think that it's going to be a problem. So it's just a new scale of escalation. Yeah, and um, I don't know. I think we're going to need some really creative ways to uh, either the data that's available in most systems just can't be considered critical, right? Like, how, maybe we get to the point where it's so easy to identify fraud and insure against it that it just doesn't matter. Right. That could be an end goal. It's like, no, house is on fire. Just let it burn. Here's your suit. Right. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you hear that one, youngins? Figure it out. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Let's get on it. Okay. Somebody we, got to solve this. We got to shift. Uh, we have to talk about Coinbase. Okay. I got yeah, we your do. reactions on this. Coinbase shares close at $328.28, valuing the company at $85.78 billion, down from its open of 381, which is fine. It means nothing. I, 
already saw somebody tweet. They're like Coinbase down off of its high of $400. I've been telling y'all, you know, whatever. It was just somebody, you know, jokingly talking about the crash of cryptocurrency within like the first three hours. It's hilarious. It's like all the people who every 10 minutes, they're like market imminent, market crash imminent, right? Like, yeah. And then the next ones could go to the moon. And and if they say it over and over again, every couple of weeks, then eventually they get to see, see, told you. (laughs) <laughs> right, they can reference one of them, and, and they constantly somebody, get the clicks. Somebody ignores all the other claims and all the other garbage. Yeah, the crypto space is littered with this. Not that yeah. the stock market in general isn't, or anyone trying to make predictions about the future based on past and stuff. Yeah, I always get a kick out of chart analysis, and uh, in particular, and those aren't that, that aren't familiar. This happens in the crypto space. It happens basically in any security analysis. But people will will look at charts and they're following moving averages, and there are all these ideas that certain forms are going to. You know, test certain breakpoints, but and that's not to say that it's all garbage. But it's called technical analysis. And what I always find hilarious is, if it goes here, it will either keep going down or it will go up sharply or something like that. And it's like it'll either do the one of the two things that it can. And it's like, wow, that's really impressive analysis that you just dropped on us. And every uh, week they'll make a comment about the you know, the triangles or the goofy shapes, right. which of course has become memes on subreddits. Yeah. Like we're going like, to hit a breakout. Uh, yeah. Wall street bets, but it, but it is, it's like, it's either going to break out or it's not going to be news until the next time I tell you it might be a breakout yeah. and uh, cracks me up. Cause they don't even have to delete the stuff that's old for people to ignore it. Like <laughs> they'll just wait for the matter. next. So, see, I told you last week that that might go up and you look at the tweet history and it's, you said 50 things would go up. Two did. I saw, and you're like, check it out. I told you I'd be right. (laughs) I saw somebody. I'm not even going to call out the news article or the news company that did it, but they they uh, tweeted out screen captures of an article uh, at the end of 19 and like halfway through 2020, where (laughs) they said the total opposite things, talking about millennials. Like the first one was millennials like refusing to buy homes, causing you know uh, housing crisis in one you know specific scenario, and the other one was. Millennials buying up all the homes. There's no homes left in the nation. <laughs> it's like four months apart. And you're like, what are you no, talking about? That's like, actually, anyway. it's interesting you brought that up. Because we talk about misinformation a lot. Um, yeah. Something I didn't I didn't consider. And I actually haven't read a lot about. And maybe that's just a function of other things being more acute or more interesting. That I think at this point, it's pretty clear that at least in the United States, I imagine this is true way outside of the U.S. as as a bubble as well, but there seems to be this sort of misinformation campaign or there seems to be a lot of misinformation campaign or not to sort of pit uh, political groups and and people that identify Mm. with them against each other, right? So in the U.S., that's, uh, you know, liberal versus conservative and people are starting kind of starting to identify with their party and then they they make broad generalizations and it seems like the way that news is built and the 24-hour cycle and just you know clickbaity sort of titles like revenue from that sort of stuff it, the titles are even designed to just get you angry it's like yeah republicans did that thing or liberals did that thing, democrats yeah. did that thing right so so even the headlines alone are sort of designed to get an emotional response well you just I've said even, something yes yeah, oh go ahead yeah, I've even cringed at. So there's been tech news things that I've read, like just yeah. gone and read sections. Everything of an is somehow salacious. I, yeah, I read <laughs> the first paragraph, and in it, it says like you know, so and so Democratic senator or so and so Republican <laughs> senator, and I'm like, okay, let's let's talk about the the news of the technology thing rather than sure. uh, I don't know, whatever. Sorry, then, then who did it? But but I do. Talk I think everything policy, is, yeah. I, and, and that's actually, I guess it's exactly what I'm getting at. It's the same vein is that 
everything is somehow, um, you know, a dividing line. It's divisive. Sure. And, right. and so like this news about the millennials and, and how they're breaking the market or breaking the housing market or, or breaking banks because they're not saving, they're saving too much, right. like whatever. Never mind the fact that it waffles constantly. Now you have generational um, warfare going on. But, but like, exactly. It, because I've seen, the I've seen just, as, just as absurd commentary around boomers in particular. And those are the two groups that seem to be yeah. most entrenched in this weird news crap. And then right there's now, the Gen Xers that, that the constantly boomers get did forgotten. Something and, <laughs> no, no, no. They, like, Gen Xers will just get bucketed with one or the other it's like they're right. all drug, well, drop out they failures or they're the ones they, that help yeah. their parents buy the houses that ruin the market like whatever whatever the headline is no you're so right um but i think some of that's a function <laughs> of size right Ge- yeah. the boomer generation is, is very large oh and for those listening these are u.s generations i don't know if that's actually globally categorized the same way i mm. guess not but maybe well um, everyone we, around the globe have, i don't know if they use the same term but a, mil- a millennial would I mean. be a millennial elsewhere in, no, the, of course. in the world as well, for sure. Well, well, yes and no, right? Sort I'm of. saying this, I'm questioning it out loud because you would think it's it'd be like that straightforward. US... But, but even when you look at generations in the United States, it's not like Gen Y starts on April 14th, 20, sure. whatever, 1980 something. Or, yeah, and then so, were... so it's fungible here as well. But boomers were based on a, a on a global war, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And millennials are based on the the turn of the century. The turn of the century, with, sure. Tied with the collective advancement in technology, which it's not like the U.S. had technology, you know, ten years before anybody else. They're no, be of, of course generation. not. Yeah, but but that's what I'm saying. Like naming wise and where the brackets are, what, whatever defining moment might not just be the cell phone. I again, I'm just saying I don't know, and I could imagine finding disparity yeah. there wouldn't actually be. It wouldn't be shocking. Sure. Um, sorry, this is just how my brain works. Yeah, but, that's uh, good. We should get that checked out. Yeah, so so yeah, right. <laughs> just drill right here. Just get it. Pie. Oh my gosh! Sorry, there's so much dude. we haven't talked in so long, and I I think you're trying to move towards a point. I want to go back and talk. No, about no, that Coinbase. was it. It was just the yeah. the the salacious headlines and creating division. We we're doing it with everything. Yeah, like we're talking about the security side. That's horrifying. But the way that we consume information and and like this push for marketing clicks and stuff like that, buying your eye time. Um, I, there's, there just seems to be a lot of stuff that is very unhealthy for long-term social interaction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Compound that with something like COVID where you're not out and seeing people where you lose the personal, you know, we talk a lot about that. People hide behind anonymity online and things like that. I, I think this year is going to prove to be somewhat pivotal in how divisive stuff like this really is from a, a good or a bad perspective. So, um, yeah, so. Let me let me jump back to Coinbase real quick. Uh, saw some interesting things there. Um, keep in mind too, it's not an IPO, right? They're not they're not raising money. It's a liquidity event, right? Turn some of what they have into money. Um, and I, this is don't so there's there's some nuances within this and some things that maybe we dive into or not. But I saw some graphics where if it and and at some parts of the day, it, this market cap did exceed a hundred billion dollars, right? And at that level. If Coinbase was a bank, and again, it's not a bank, it's a marketplace to exchange, but like, don't even get me spun up on that. We can talk about all kinds of stuff going down that route. But um, if it was a bank, it would be the ninth largest bank in the world, right? Now that always, if you said, if it was, even though it's not, becomes a ridiculous conversation, but it's so interesting to me to have the valuation on a marketplace that is 
quite honestly, 99.9% speculative that it would have. Oh, so like every U.S. tech stock? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I know. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, it's just funny. It's funny. (laughs) It is funny. And and then there was all kinds of things where like the, the equity of the holders of Coinbase, if you, if you chart the equity of uh, Coinbase against the growth of Bitcoin, the valuation of the equity is almost as parabolic as Bitcoin itself. So, well, but that almost makes sense too, because you look at the way that does. their fee structure is designed. The the yeah. more expensive Bitcoin is, the higher their fee structure ends up netting them. So, right, it's not it's not just five dollars a transaction; it's a percentage. Yeah. Like Bitcoin goes to the moon, Coinbase goes with it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, which is interesting. It'll, and it'll that's be... assuming you don't consider sixty to sixty-five thousand dollars per Bitcoin mooning already. Yeah, I, I think anyone that bought them for pennies would say we're doing okay. So who's going to disrupt <laughs> Coinbase? Every time something like this happens, everyone. my brain immediately goes to the next step. Who's going to disrupt? It's everybody. It, yeah. it, Binance is an option, right? And it's yeah. it's slowly but surely getting through the regulatory stuff in the United States. Is it as likely to be as successful in the United States as Coinbase? No, probably not because of its backing, because of its origins. But it's only a matter of time before there is another U.S. competitor with a clean interface, better listings, and easier trading or yeah. simpler. Like Coinbase kind of nailed, in my opinion, one of the biggest things in the crypto community. The UX? Um, which, the which, which Well, having both, right? Because yes. you know, there's Coinbase, there's Coinbase Pro. Coinbase Pro is your is your ultra trading version of Coinbase. And then the front end for Coinbase.com, which is where everybody goes, is crypto news and coin tracking with a limited supply, but it's stupid easy to buy and sell in that case. It's Um, almost, I mean, it's so, it's, my initial take on that was, yeah, I I love that take. My initial, when I looked at Coinbase and I looked at Coinbase Pro, I was like, why are these two different platforms? And then I realized they had to, they had to do this to, satisfy yeah. the two very different people that are going to be looking at this, right? And the I think that's are going to what look Coinbase at the candle did. charts versus, yeah, the people that just right. want an easy yeah. UX, an easy, sorry. And I, I think it's, here. other, other easy, than it being US-based, it's, I think it's one of the reasons that they're dominating, right? But if you look at, uh, what what is it, Bitfinex, uh, Coin, uh, Binance, mm-hmm. uh, Bittrex, Kraken, mm-hmm. none of them have the simple version. They're right. all super, in, I mean, I, I won't even say intuitive, right? But they, if you're familiar with charts and that sort of stuff, then sure. But it's, they're powerful, but they are not easy. Yes. Coinbase and, made it easy, which means it's going to onboard more customers. And they crushed it. How genius was this when you go in and they give you free crypto to learn about sure. the different programs or the, the different projects? Right. It's and crazy. that was another thing I was, really well. I was talking to... Oh man, I wish I remember where this source came from or where this this information came from. Assuming it's true, I can't validate it. But I read something, um, probably comment section, you know, worthy. But um, that said, the way that Coinbase makes a determination to onboard a coin effectively guarantees Coinbase's profitability off of said coin. So mm, they will never list something that they can't print money on, which is why they don't list everything under the sun. I that was curious they about will that. Well, this again, un- totally unconfirmed. I don't think Coinbase came out and said no. That this, makes but, that makes complete sense. But it though. does make sense. Sure, that makes complete sense. Why? Why would you? Why would you go sign a sign a contract to do something that's not going to print money for you? And, and that's and the you conversation. Realize, yeah. No, go ahead. Well, it's just one of the coins uh, that I'm in, and I, I try to stay really far away from talking about this publicly at all. But 
that that is one of the prime like one of the top conversations is how do we just get it listed on Coinbase because then immediately oh, yeah. it's going to explode but maybe there's some sort of there's some sort of uh, issue there right they well can't yeah get and their, there there are cut. there there are barriers to certain types and it's not always they can't get their cut I think there's a way for Coinbase to make money on any crypto the cut they right? want. I, it, well, and I see that's the thing is I think it's more than the cut they want. There, there are a couple of factors I imagine that are really prominent. I'm sure there are hundreds of things that they actually consider. But one is what's the cost to set it up and scale it, right? So some coins, some crypto options aren't going to have easy scaling problems. I, I know from long, uh, you know, sort of looking at this in particular, a, a coin that I brought up a lot just just because I actually think it's a Texas developer is how I originally found out about it. But Nano uh, used to be. Um, uh, um, what they call it, uh, Ray blocks, right? They're a block lattice. It's a different way of doing the confirmations and making sure that the network is secure, that sort of stuff. But one of the problems with Nano is that you can't really have like a centralized exchange wallet. And that simplifies things, right? We've talked about it before. If you don't have the key, then you don't really have the coin. Well, when you buy something on Coinbase, you have a wallet, you have a public address, but they also have a transactional kitty. And, and something like Nano requires lots of tiny kitties because that's how it scales. And that's more complicated uh, from a development perspective, my, is my understanding. Yeah. And so th that's the thing is that the, the way that they develop their blockchain, the way they deploy it is going to impact how it gets implemented by Coinbase, which could mean more dev time, more complications. It, are there security vulnerabilities in the coin itself? That's a huge consideration, right? They, any any one coin could create issues because no matter what, if if for instance, if Bitcoin had an actor tomorrow that was able to take on fifty one percent of the compute of the entire mining and transaction network, then you could have double transactions and people could lose money. People on Coinbase could lose money. Well, who do those people go to first when Bitcoin has a problem? Coinbase as their portal right. to the ecosystem. So Coinbase has to take into consideration that if that coin is a crap show, that they get to be first line of, hey, shoot, I wouldn't be surprised if they get more emails than you've ever seen in your life every time a coin goes down 10%. <laughs> I lost <laughs> money on your crypto. Why'd you sell me that crypto? Like I, I can People only imagine People what it's like to do retail investing at yeah. all let alone something as speculative and volatile as cryptocurrency. Hello, Robin so Hood. <laughs> I get it, man. I totally get it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And and that's the other thing. Oh my gosh, you bring up Robin Hood. Think about the early stories. Gosh, go Google. Uh, what is it? Guh, which G-U-H. If you do Robin Hood, Reddit, Guh, you will find yourself a video that basically, it, look for the ones that are ex explanatory Long story short, a guy figured out that Robinhood had a problem with the way that it provided margin, so leverage for trading. In, in that, if Robinhood saw dollars in your account, it would offer you leverage at some percentage of the amount in the account. But there were transactions you could do, particularly using options chains, that would artificially increase the amount of money you had in your account. So basically- what? You well, you can think about it. You could you could buy a bunch of stuff, uh, but if you had just enough money to buy a hundred shares of something, then you can sell a covered call and you get the premium. 
but you could get that premium and you haven't actually like basically it created a recursive thing where this guy just leveraged Robinhood's money to continue leveraging. And he leveraged to the point where he had like a gajillion shares and he bet against or for, I don't even remember which one it was, Apple on an earnings call. And it went the other way. So all of his options trades, which were all based on imaginary money, and he never should have had access to that much based on how much actual dollars he had in Robinhood. And he lost it all in a second because it was a you know a weekly <laughs> it was a weekly call, and it it literally went to zero in like two seconds. Yeah, and he just goes. <laughs> it's anyways. Th- this is this is a problem when you give a retail trader access to something they don't understand. When it goes through the floor, you you end up getting a lot of the flack. It's it's not pretty. So I can imagine yeah. that there are a lot of those too. They just. I don't want to touch a coin that's going to go, you know, in into the ground tomorrow. I don't want to touch a coin I don't understand well enough to protect against, uh, you know, a spam destroying it, making so people can't contra- uh, transact. I mean, there's a ton of stuff in different cryptocurrencies that can negatively impact an end user's experience. And as yeah. the entry point, it's your fault. <laughs> so let me let me give you some numbers here on on uh, Coinbase. So users, 56 million retail accounts. 7,000 wow. institutional accounts, right? It's going to be big ones. Revenue, $1.8 billion in Q1, first three months of this year, which was more than all their revenue in all of 2019 and all of 2020 combined. Dude, and there's only 53 million retail accounts. Like, do the math on that. Right. Those guys are <laughs> worth, they didn't exist 10 years ago. Yeah. And neither yeah. did basically the entire financial ecosystem they're playing in. They're absolutely the dominant. Yeah, they started actually nine years ago. It started in 2012. You're, you're absolutely right. But to, to, have, to have a quarter that is more than your previous eight quarters combined, unbelievable. And then, yeah. and then for, for them to have this, this listing event uh, right after that, gosh, I, can't, I cannot even imagine what's going on in their heads. Uh, no, market they're, share. They're happy it. of the entire crypto economy trades on Coinbase, which I thought was actually kind of kind of low. I almost said slow. Well, global. Think about that because I I don't. I don't. I'm not actually even sure how easy it is for foreign uh, foreign people to have an account. I don't know. That's a good point. I I believe it's possible. I'm just not sure. And they also have the fewest coins available listed to share. Right, which I think is is definitely holding them back. But they're. They had less again, than 5% in 2018. So it went from less when you than 5% talk about their, to 11%. Yeah, wow. I mean, that's incredible growth. But when you look at when you look at potential for something like that, as, as mm-hmm. that easy and, and kind of got the button version of uh, an exchange, every coin they list is probably going to increase their revenue by a wide margin. And as they become more popular and as the coins in general, what is it now? Uh, coin market cap, I think where it's $2 trillion is the, the total market capitalization of yes. every coin or every coin they track. Correct. Um, yeah. That's it's which Coinbase is basically getting a cut of all of that. <laughs> yes, that's right. And so I saw another graphic. Um, the the uh, market cap of Bitcoin just passed the GDP of Brazil, which is not small, right? It's insane. Okay. So how is Coinbase um, looking from a, a revenue perspective and how do they get their money and all that kind of stuff? of its revenue from transactions. And then you have to look into the take rate, right? So Mm -hmm. I I just mentioned they have 56 million retail accounts, 7,000 institutional accounts. 
Their take rate on retail is one and a half percent up to, excuse me, up to one and a half percent and 0.05% for institutions. So no. I guess they just figured they can, <laughs> I don't know. What, what do you, what, what's the thought going into that? You think the difference you mean? Yeah. Up to, up to one and a half percent against the 56 million retail accounts that are trading that are using the, the using the platform, the marketplace, I think that's and then 0.05% for institutions. Roughly speaking, I'd say it's normal, right? Retail investors have smaller, yeah, smaller they changing of, of dollars. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't think it's particularly fair, but you want to entice in institutional investors because you know half a percent of a much larger sum of money, of course, is a lot of money to Coinbase. So yeah. it's not so much fairness. It's just, hey, if, you, if you're going to bring that much to us, then we'll take a smaller cut. So yeah. bring it all. Well, and realize too, so when they talk about take rates, and then you talk about the price going up. Okay. So over this time yeah. period, Bitcoin went from 7K to over, it's over 60K now, right? In that, just in that, whenever you trade, the valuation is higher, but also the trading volumes have increased uh, 4X. Well, and that, right? that was the comment that I made earlier, right? Is that if, if Coinbase looked like your traditional uh, marketplace broker, where before they were all free because you know they're selling the chain, um, the the fees were structured pretty cleanly, right? It was seven ninety nine a trade and down to four ninety nine if you trade twenty fives in a month, twenty five times in a month, and then there was a, a bit of a war to get down to the lowest cost per trade. But the cost per trade was static; it wasn't a percentage of the value of the stock you were trading. Right. It's insane that retail investors are okay with a percentage take of every trade, especially on a trading platform where the intent is to make money yeah. through well, growth. Dude, it's, like, it's obfuscating it's so much though too, right? You have to be doing these conversions in your head, especially if you're converting from a non-fiat to another non-fiat. No, no kidding. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that's for, even for you more to realize insane. the percentage, it just doesn't, it just, it kind of doesn't even compute. It just comes out in the wash. You know what I mean? Yep. No, so. that's I actually I, I remember thinking that early on um, didn't stop me from investing, but I guess that's the point is that yeah. I, I think it's crappy that they decided to take a completely non-traditional broker, non-traditional finance approach to trading, um, because I, I think that the percentage take is pretty crap for retail investors, but it's obviously great for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we didn't we didn't say no by stopping our dollars. So right. there you have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I think I think one of the other interesting points here too is um, that it, I think some of the barriers to compete with Coinbase is the name that they've built and the the trust oh, yeah. that they've built with their consumers because that was one of the things that you and I and Russ talked about early on in this whenever we were looking at marketplace platforms. Can you? How much do you trust just having this in a wallet that they assign to your name? You know what I mean? Sure. How how much do you lean into that? How much can you? You yeah. don't have your keys, and well, so, but I mean, there are solutions to that problem too. Well, for, for sure, you always for sure. transfer crypto out of Coinbase. I, I think there are some, yeah. but I, some I, slowdowns in that regard. But uh, yeah. you, you can get it out. You just have I, to do it. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I, ju I just mean like from a from a general consumer perspective, overtaking Coinbase. I feel like it's going to have to. It can't be somebody you know like a, a Bitrex or Kraken or something like no, that. No, you're probably right. They can build that. It's got to be somebody. Um, like a like a Somebody PayPal new. kind of a deal. Well, right? and and that's or what some, I think you're going to see. It, yeah. In my opinion, right? This is what uh, 
Robinhood's a good example because they already enabled the buying and selling of Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I think they've got a couple others now. And uh, yeah, PayPal just entered into being able to transact that way. And I, th- I think you can uh, onboard fiat to, to coins now as well. Honestly, I haven't paid that much attention to the, the PayPal side of it. But I think you're going to see financial institutions, uh, call them old guard financial institutions that have the brand name, that, that have people's trust if they make it easy to onboard, then it will be more of a competitive landscape. And I would guess if you read the IPO, IPO documentation for Coinbase, um, that that's one of the threats is today we are you know one of the most dominant crypto exchanges and we've got people's trust and we're the first thought when it comes to mind when you want to go buy something, but that's not necessarily going to last forever. And so if Fidelity introduces to their app the ability to buy you know Buku crypto and they do it on a structured fee structure for instance this is all icing for them yeah um then uh, you know who, what why why wouldn't you go to a td ameritrade app on your phone and buy crypto for two dollars a transaction compared yeah. to uh you know uh, uh the equivalent on coinbase it did yeah, let's see it in fidelity it, you know let's sure. like let's see it in where my company does 401k right you know, yeah, yeah. Well, let, and let I think that stuff's going to happen in there, or, or Ethereum in there. Yeah, for sure. But my happen. guess is those companies are seeing more risk in adopting those platforms than, yeah. than somebody that was born native to it as well. And I wanted to say this because there is there's a flip side to the percentage take, right? Um, and that is buying tiny amounts. Uh, think fractional shares. This is obviously very easy mm-hmm. when it comes to crypto. You can they're highly divisible, right? You know, billions yeah. of a coin are available to most average investors. So if if Bitcoin's worth a million dollars, you can still buy five dollars worth of it. Well, the nice thing there is that for people to limp into a currency, a cryptocurrency, a a percentage take is a kinder way than yeah. if a flat fee, because a flat fee can obviously be you know sure. much larger than a very small take of Bitcoin. I'm glad you came back to that too, because I just found some more information here. Um, there's a difference actually between using Coinbase proper and Coinbase Pro. And keep in mind this too. I think there was some misconceptions out there, and I'll get back to what this was in just a second. But there, I think there was there's a misconception that people thought that Coinbase Pro was like a an uh, you had to pay for that kind of feature because there's a oh, lot no. of trading platforms like that. No, it's free. It's just a totally it's a professional tool set. Right, but it's free. So, yeah. but Coinbase charges about three to four percent commission on purchases versus 05 percent for Coinbase Pro. So, even if you're a retail investor and you go to Coinbase Pro, you're going to have a lower uh, commission percentage. Yeah, which is again, it's interesting. One because they don't do a lot of advertising. Coinbase Pro that was something they actually used to call it GDAX. I found it before it was called Coinbase Pro, but it was their backend. Oh, really? Headline, you know, a long time ago. Nice. But um, the. Uh, that's one of those things where I, I mean, I think it's fair to criticize, like they're just taking advantage of retail investors that don't know any better, but there might be a legitimate business argument to say the guy who comes in and barely knows anything and throws $10 at a coin is the most likely to cause us grief from a support perspective. Therefore it's <laughs> yes. worth the additional percent. Yes, these, are, these are real things. So well, they're charging you for that beautiful, simplistic, sure. easy to use interface. For sure, yeah, but for with sure. 53 million retail investors, that's I'm uh, not yeah. sure I give them credit for that one at scale, but I would give them credit for the you know that that ten dollar investor that's just as likely to send you the angry grant when it goes down 20%, right? It's the right it, it's it's a scale problem. Yep. Hey, where's the part where we say we're not financial advisors? Uh, is it right here? We should probably just put that in the <laughs> intro. Is, in the uh, intro. As long as we're gonna keep excitedly <laughs> talking about crypto, we should 
probably remind people that we are. Oh man. Yep. 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 That's very Okay. True. Is there anything else on, uh, on Coinbase we need to talk about or, uh, should oh, we talk sure about there's this ton, other thing about I think we should, we should FBI. move on or shut it down. F- okay. FBI Let me tell you it this is. One. Okay. So the FBI, this is on Gizmo- Gizmodo. Uh, the FBI just snuck into computers all over the country to stop a hacking campaign. That's, awesome. That's the title. That's the title. Both wonderful and horrifying simultaneously. <laughs> In what may be a first of its kind operation, the FBI recently accessed private ah, servers across <sighs> the U.S. ostensibly to delete malware that had previously been installed by foreign hackers. Oh. <laughs> You're just like, what? If, if uh, the listeners could see my this, face. Yeah. Oh gosh. And this from let me read a, a text from my sister today. <laughs> oh, where do I where do I where do I find it? Oh, uh, I'll give you guys more details later, but don't click on links that you don't know about. One of our vendors got hacked and it's been wrecking their world. Yeah. Um, so and, and those are still the most common ingress points, right? Yeah. It's the people. It's yep. always the people. Yep. So it says the, the FBI targeted this unique digital cleanup at oh servers running the vulnerability-ridden email product Microsoft Exchange. The U.S. <laughs> Justice Department said nobody uses that, right? <laughs> the way that's written is just like this totally unheard of thing that everyone <laughs> everywhere uses. I know. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and like there's they had like a personal vendetta against Exchange. <laughs> yeah. My goodness. The U.S. Justice oh Department said Tuesday that the purpose of the Bureau's operation was to digitally erase traces of web shells that, had they remained, Dude. could have been used Dude. to maintain and escalate persistent, unauthorized access to U.S. networks. It's Wow. It, it, so all, all <laughs> I can think of, and, and I feel this way so often when it comes to cybersecurity, right? It's like, it'd be like waking up to like the FBI shackling some burglar on the floor of your house where it's like whoa cool thanks for a stop why are you here why are you here how did you get in my house (laughs) why is this okay right and it like i feel the same way about email it's like the the u.s postal service it's a federal crime to even open somebody else's mailbox like that is pretty extreme email it's like no anybody in the path is allowed to read it it's fine Right. And it's like, why? Why is this okay? So, yeah. Okay, cool. You stopped some bad people doing bad things. But why? Why would you? How do you have access? And why are we okay with it? I'm so torn on that. Because I can totally see both sides. I don't like I don't want to knock it. I can't. And that's that unicorn situation. And, And to be fair, so far, we aren't aware of many, if any, accounts where they use the back door to go slam somebody for something that otherwise would have been totally protected as, you know, under self-incrimination. I don't know. But uh, I just, I, I guess the answer is I'm not sure I trust organizations that have that much access to always do the right thing. Right. And I don't, I don't know if it's better or worse to to give them that access and hope for the best, right? Yeah, because and that's I mean, even hoping the for the best on like hope, ostensibly hope to funny. do this. They're doing it, but you know, and apparently it's to do this. Do we really know? Nope. And nope. how's this happening? And and what is it? I swear, there's there's quotes probably uh, Wayne Gretzky that slash Michael Scott, right? But uh, about you give you give a group power. And inevitably, somebody is going to use it for the wrong purposes. You know, it's just, it's human nature to just, you can't control yourself. So you overstep at some point. I like, I want to see 
that kind of malware eliminated. I, I like that there's some sort of body, but I think in my personal cases, I think through this, I would be more comfortable with some sort of monolithic security organization or organizations that compete for your business to be given the spare keys to go back in and do that stuff as opposed to the federal government. Right. Ugh. So I, I think if you're going to give, if you're going to give back doors to anyone, I, I don't know that it should be our We're three letter agencies. Given? I mean, I, no, that's what I'm saying. But somebody developed the dang things in there, slash, yeah. they have their own kitty of zero day exploits to go be white knights. Like, what is happening? Yeah. <laughs> yep. No, that's that's horrifying and amazing and all at the same time. All right. What else you got, man? You see anything else crazy out there? Oh, not that crazy. I, I can't, I cannot There's a top bit of that news. one. There was a bit of news uh, that you and I related to from a Dell and VMware perspective, but I don't know how much we should get into talking about it because every time I talk about stock prices or anything like that, I get told not to talk about it. So I'm not going <laughs> to touch that one. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that that one, I can touch on it for you if you want. So there was, right, I guess well, I'm gonna it was close my ears and walk away. I didn't. I didn't see what it was, but well, here we'll we'll take what is public and and I'll I'll make my own little guess as to even that to man how it like, affected what it affected, but basically Dell well, is sorry I'm interrupting no, no, you. No. sorry yeah no why don't you tell us I would prefer your well, no I'm not going to tell you legal or but, otherwise no I'm not going to tell you but <laughs> what I was going to say is I mean you just have to be so careful from an SEC rules perspective right oh, you sure, can't I be don't. seen as as uh, as 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 <laughs> Potentially inflating things, right? So it's just I best don't. To never I don't matter anything. at all. Uh, you you matter. You got no, training. I would, uh, no, I wouldn't say there's a difference there, but you you haven't. Been well, shocked. sure. Now I can't say anything, <laughs> but I can I can read the news. If you go and you look at Seeking Alpha or anyone else, Dell did announce the intent to spin off VMware. Nothing's done until it's done. All of those qualifications, right? But part of what they announced was that there will be a special dividend dividend on the order of what, between 19 and 20 billion, which is VMware paying cash to all uh, stockholders of VMware, which is dominantly Dell right now um, as, as a daughter company, however that's looked at, right? A subsidiary. Um, and, uh, and that caused market movement, as you would expect. Um, it, it looks, I mean, on the surface, it's like a dividend that came out of nowhere for Dell shareholders. So you would expect the value of that that stock to at least match what the expected dividend is, right? Because every shareholder is going to get extra dollars. If the share price played where it was before that, then it was already priced in, which is questionable. Um, it should price itself in, as you'd expect, right? Yeah. It comes with free money. It's just like ex-dividend dates. Anyways, they also said it would happen immediately before the uh, the transaction, which is supposed to be a Q4 transaction, right? And then assuming all the approvals go through that that's piece. And then obviously they had some uh, partnership uh, commercial agreement stuff that was in there, just I assuming cautioning the, the general public that it's okay, we're still synergistically aligned, we're amazing. But that's pure speculation on my part too. <laughs> well, I left the podcast, I just got back, I was getting some water. I didn't really hear anything you were talking about, but um, <laughs> yeah, cool. Let's move on to the next topic here. Uh-huh. For sharing whatever it is you shared. <laughs> and then we can shut it down. Um, I thought this was kind of cool. Uh, Twitter says it will study any unintentional harms caused by its algorithms and will make the Whoa. findings public as part of its responsible ML initiative. That's the part I'm super intrigued about is making yeah. the findings public. This is something public. that has just plagued social media. Yeah. Transparency, transparency, transparency. 
Um, you can go and read some of the tweets about it. Uh, uh, Will Ormus, uh, he's popular on Twitter, but it would be cool to someday, maybe he's popular off Twitter too, I don't know, but I only know him from Twitter. It would be cool to someday see a big tech company give serious thought to the unintentional harms of its algorithms before rolling them out to hundreds of millions of people instead of four years after was his comment. And, uh, you know, I think, I think there's some validity to that. I, I tend yeah. to just kind of see the positive in it right out of the gate. I'm not saying he's, you know, being overly negative, but yeah, sure. I, I think, I think what would be nice is just having transparency going into all these things rather than just releasing stuff. And I think, I think they're starting to learn that, but, um, gosh, well, it would be nice. Learn, people... Learn's a strong word, right? I think, yeah. I think what happens there is that they know people would prefer transparency, but right. they're only going to voluntarily provide that kind of data in an attempt to prevent somebody from forcing them anyways. Yeah. Because if they get to play by the rules that they set to keep people reasonably comfortable, then they don't have to play by the rule set developed by a bunch of people that probably don't understand the technology at all, as we've discussed, at least in the United States, with the way that our lawmakers understand social media and the problems that are at our fingertips. So I think you're going to see some pretty uh, novel and what appears to be aggressive attempts for transparency and solving this problem on the surface. But I, I believe it is an attempt to prevent any sort of regulatory action. It's a, hey, look, I'm doing really good things. Don't don't shackle me. Don't shackle me. And that's the argument they'll make while they're heavily lobbying in the background. Yeah, well. that's a good point. Yep. Trying to focus but I'm glad on to see it. it. I, I don't want to hate it. Right. I think transparency is a good thing. And I, I think problems need to be solved. I just I'm I'm hesitant to give too much credit to Twitter because it, the skeptic in me believes that this is something they perceive to be a good look for them, not sure. some sort of, you know, social good effort. It's not, they're not doing this. They're not doing this out of the kindness of their hearts. They're doing it because it gives them some goodwill. My sure. opinion. Yeah. I, I, and they're a private corporation. That's how it works. Yeah. I think there's some validity in that. Um, it says, uh, to start the company, will study Twitter's image cropping algorithm, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> their image cropping algorithm, which I know is, <laughs> has been the butt of a lot of jokes. Uh, if you've spent any time on Twitter, it's kind of funny. Um, but it's been recently criticized as being biased toward people with lighter skin. Um, oh, wow. it also says Twitter will study its content recommendations, including a fairness assessment of our home timeline recommendations across racial subgroups an analysis of content recommendations for different political ideologies across seven countries. So we'll be interesting to see what comes of that. Yeah, for sure. No, I, lots of good stuff out there. And there's a gajillion other news articles as well, but I think it's time to shut her down. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm that brings another tech back. I know, I know the name of our podcast. People trust me. Another <laughs> tech breakfast podcast to a close. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Aaron and I had a blast today. Russ, we miss you. Which is weird. Come from me who just missed the last couple episodes. But high fives all around virtually. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Tell your friends. Uh, you guys are awesome. We'll talk to you on Friday. Yeah. Thanks for listening to us. Yeah, right? All I right. say talk to you on Friday. Like, I won't be on the road. I might not make it. What? You're going to be gone again? I might be. I got For shame, Tyler. Where are you going? Pick up a puppy in Houston. <laughs> you might have to dial in from the road with your puppy yapping. All right, I'm going to shut it down.